Uh, thank you, Emma. Uh, please do keep that sheet handy. We'll be going uh, through uh, this passage. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Toby. I'm the pastor here. Um, and we've been going through James and we've come to our last uh, bit of James. And so let's pray and ask God to help us as we come to his word. Uh, Father God, we do thank you that we can come uh, together as your people and we pray that you help us to hear what you are saying. Help us to understand why prayer is so important. Uh, and help me to teach according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How do we respond to life? You would have seen the shocking pictures of the floods in New South Wales, uh, the news of the conduct, of the horrible conduct of the federal parliament. And maybe challenging conversations uh, with others, health setbacks and tragedy. How do we respond? What do we do? What can we do? Now, there's some events that we can solve ourselves, even me. You know, like so you're getting that coffee in the morning and you drop the milk. What do you say? What did your grandmother say? No point crying over spilt milk. And the amazing thing is when you spill the milk, you can actually fix that pretty easily. Have you heard about this? It's called a mop and a bucket and a sponge. And you can fix up the mess that you've created. Problem solved. But there's some events that you might need others' help. And because you've cleaned all the milk that you've spilt, you've gone and you've run out of milk. And so you might phone a friend. You might phone a spouse and say on the way, home can you buy some more milk problem solved but there's some events that we can't solve we watch the news and we see the flooding in new south wales uh, as with uh, kelvin and ruth have told us of COVID in png and the atrocities even the hospital and all the staff in the major hospital getting COVID. Or we see this great big ship, and I don't know what he's done, if he's, you know, it's a pretty straight canal, I don't know how you miss it, but maybe he's fallen asleep at the wheel, and all of a sudden, trading is at a standstill. Or maybe you, you hear the news and the shooting in Geelong yesterday morning, and you're like, what can I do? What can we do? How do we respond? Or maybe even worse, you get that phone call from a close a friend with bad news. They've just found out that they have cancer. Now, our initial response is grief, is it not? Sadness, helplessness, maybe frustration. But our last passage here, James provides a suggestion. He reminds his readers about prayer. So often we're faced with bad news uncomfortable news and quite easily we can just turn to despair but no matter how big or small the problem is we can always pray we can turn to the one that can help no matter what the challenge no matter what the issue and so as i said this is our last week in james if you joined us today we're going through james and James is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this letter. He was the leader at the Church of Jerusalem and he's writing to uh, the Jewish Christians throughout the Roman Empire. And it's a bit of a charge how to live as Christians. 15. 
If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. No matter what situation we're in in life, God is always there and so God should be included. If we are suffering, we are to pray God. If we are happy, we are to praise God. God is central in our lives. And so we share with him everything. We share with him the good, the bad and the ugly. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have direct access to God, to the heavenly throne. God isn't some distant relative you might get around to, getting in touch in, you know, once a year or once when you've got some energy or time. God is our Lord, our Saviour. He's our everything. And notice that James includes both the highs and the lows. Now, what's our tendency, isn't it? Often, when things are bad, we pray. When things aren't going the way we'd like, then we turn to God. But notice here what he says, if anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Now, James doesn't say, you know, sing your favourite footy team song, you know, good old Collingwood forever. No, well, you can do that, and that's quite appropriate because we beat Carlton, but we won't mention that. But he doesn't say... If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, as we did back in kindergarten. No, he says, praise God. Praise the one who has given you every good gift. Include God in the good times of your day or week. Praise him because he deserves it. When we receive good news, praise God. When we have a really good catch-up on the phone, when we have a, a good meal with someone, even a good night's sleep. Yeah? Sometimes it's hard to sleep, isn't it? We praise him because he is the one who deserves it. Is someone sick? He says, call the elders. And it doesn't sound strange, doesn't it? Because when we think, if someone's sick, look up Dr. Google on all our medical doctors say, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. If someone's sick, go to the medicine cabinets. If someone's sick, go call the doctor or go to ER, call the ambulance. Calling for the elders. Why is he suggesting calling for the elders? Aren't elders to look up the spiritual side of things, not the physical side? Now this verse has created great debate and various interpretations over the years. You know, what's with the oil? Is it olive oil? Is it extra virgin olive oil? Like, what kind of oil is going on here? And does this mean the elders' prayers are, like, better or they're more, um, you know, effective? There's a whole bunch of different uh, interpretations. So first thing to be clear is we're talking about physical illness in verse 14. So a Christian is physically ill, and it's obviously the elders to pray over them, they're kind of bedridden. This isn't, you know, I've got a sore toe or I've got a bit of a headache. They're bedridden. And why does he instruct the elders to pray for the sick? Well, the elders, the spiritual leaders, 
of the church, they are appointed because of their maturity and faith. Elders, of course, are to care for church members. And so they are to take responsibility to pray for church members. And give it that they are the spiritual leaders, well, they are included to pray for healing. Given their maturity, their prayers should be appropriate. They pray in faith, knowing that if God, who is generous and kind, if it's his will, that he can and will heal. But they also submit to God's will, not knowing that there's no point giving people false hope or making promises that they cannot keep. And so they pray and they care in all of life. But notice in sentence 16, he says that all Christians are to pray, not just the elders. And so it's clear that just because the elders are to come and pray doesn't mean that someone else shouldn't pray. But God in his wisdom doesn't always answer prayers as we like. And so even if the elders pray, doesn't mean it's a guarantee that that person will be healed. And the classic example, of course, is Paul, the Apostle Paul, praying to God that he would remove the thorn in his flesh three times, as recorded in 2 Corinthians. However, God, in his wisdom, did not heal him. Now, just briefly, uh, some Christians, the way they've interpreted this verse, uh, some commentators say, well, the oil was used back in the ancient world as a medicine. And so, you know, pray and apply the medicine. That's kind of a, that, that's one interpretation. The Roman Catholic Church, uh, they've used this verse and a couple others to say, anointing the sick with oil is a sacrament and only priests can do that and that kind of thing. Now, the most common and the one that I uh, take on is the oil is applied symbolically. Applying the oil is a a physical action symbolising that the person is being set apart for God's special attention and care. You kind of think of the, the Bible, you're applying oil, it's special, you know. The king is applied oil on the priest. So what's the take home message? It's prayer with faith. Oil is not essential, right? The oil has no miraculous lotion. It's not like this super-duper oil that's going to heal. The oil doesn't enhance the healing or enhance the chances. The oil's just a symbol. If you have any questions, ask me about that at morning tea. So as he goes on, we see in sentence 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. He's not saying the oil of faith. It's the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Praying in faith is essential. Remember, we looked back at James chapter 1 and verse 6, and James saying that when we pray, we are to pray with faith. And there's even more, something more important to pray than physical healing. It's spiritual healing. Physical healing is one thing. Spiritual healing is an entire different thing. Confessing sins. Now, this is nothing new. Uh, James is just backing up Jesus' teaching and biblical teaching that we are to confess our sins to God and he will forgive. 
First uh, John chapter 1 and verse 9, very clear. If we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now today is Palm Sunday, next Friday, Good Friday. We celebrate Good Friday, we remember the day that Jesus enabled us to be forgiven. The day when the Son of God died on the cross. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sins. Jesus' perfect sacrifice for all our sins. He died once and his blood washes all our sins. Now we need to remember that God is holy and just. A holy God can have nothing to do with sin, but because of Jesus' death, we are forgiven. But it's a problem, isn't it? We keep sinning. We're not perfect. We keep making mistakes. We keep sinning. Our sins hurt our relationship with God and each other. So what do we do? We confess those sins as we commit them. Why do we have to keep confessing? Jesus died once, why don't we just confess once? Why do we need to keep confessing? Because we keep singing. Now it's a really important thing that we need to remember and be reminded of. Our Heavenly Father never gets sick of hearing our confessions. When we pray and when we confess our sins, He is faithful and will forgive. A God in heaven's never going to say, no more, no, Toby, I'm sick of hearing about it. Now, sometimes we can feel awful, can't we? We're embarrassed. Oh, here I go again, confessing again and again, uh, particularly if it's the same sin. We all need to know and accept. God never gets sick of hearing our confessions. Every time we confess, what are we doing? We are humbling ourselves. We are saying, God, I am sorry. God, please forgive me. And God is a God of grace and mercy. And we sang earlier, his mercy is more. God's mercy is always more than our sin. That doesn't mean our sins don't have consequences. Our sins do. And often we have to live with the consequences of our sin. Sometimes because of our sins we have a broken relationship and sometimes that relationship cannot be healed. To use the extreme example, there are plenty of forgiven Christians in jail. Yes, their sins are forgiven, but the consequences of their sins is that they're in jail and they may have to be in jail for life. There's a difference between forgiveness and repentance. Forgiveness that God forgives us, repentance is living with the consequences of the sin. So please hear, God never gets sick of hearing us confessing. As we confess, we show our dependence to Jesus. That's a good place to be. And that's why James includes it in this passage. Now he uses an example from the Old Testament, Elijah and the power of prayer. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours 
And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now notice that James is stressing that Elijah was no big deal. Sentence 17, he was a man just like us. He was just a human. Yet he prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain. He prayed and it didn't rain for three years. And don't worry, all the gardeners and farmers, we're not going to be praying like that, okay? It's all right. But remember also that God instructed Elijah to pray his prayer. And so obviously Elijah's praying in faith in line with God's will. He still prayed. He didn't say, oh, well, God's going to do it anyway. He still prayed. That's a great example, isn't it? Now, we are concerned about rain, but our greatest concern, of course, is salvation. Salvation of our family, our friends. Salvation of those that are perishing in our city. And so we are to use the example of Elijah to keep praying that God would grow his kingdom in us, in our church, in our town. Uh, yesterday, uh, Owen and I, we, we um, did the Zoom thing with some elders from across the PYV and we spent an hour in prayer and they kind of did a third, a third, a third. A third of the time we praised God, a third of the time we prayed for faith of the church to grow and a third we prayed for the lost. That was a really nice balance. Maybe a good model for us to use. You know, we're thinking we spend a time, a third praising God, a third praying for the church, and a third praying for the lost. Because often our tendency is we praise you, God, thank you. Now, can you please do this? And you can do this and do this and do this. We forget that prayer is about praising God and is about reaching the lost. And the last two verses of his letter are very surprising. A very surprising way to finish the letter. There's no God bless you, pass on my greetings to such and such. It's a one last charge. Sentence 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and if someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save him from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Don't give up on anyone. That lost sheep who has wandered from the church, from the gospel, from the truth, that prodigal son or daughter that it appears completely lost to God, don't give up on them. While there is breath, there is hope. Now, for some of us, this hits hard, doesn't it? For some of us, it hits a real nerve because we have family members that we truly love and that we've been praying for for years. Humanly speaking, that's a hopeless case. But God can work miracles. God is merciful and gracious. God, who's able to save the worst of sinners like Paul, has continued to bring the most unlikely people to faith. How do we bring those who have wandered back? 
Well, the first and foremost is to pray. Keep praying. Jesus' parable of the persistent widow. Keep praying to God for years and years. Keep praying for them. If you're able to invest in them, to talk, to be generous and gracious, do that. But obviously we need to be careful. There are many examples of well-meaning Christians being taken advantage of. Well-meaning Christians that are giving and giving and actually just wasting their time. I, I knew of one Christian community, they did all they could for this one individual. And this individual, he just talk and talk and talk and talk and there was no change. And we've got to be careful we're not casting pearls in front of the, the sows, but at the same time we also have to be careful that we are gracious. There's no point being that Bible basher. Thus says the Lord, you are going to hell. We need to graciously speak words of salt and grace. We need to help them to love Jesus, not rules, not morals. We need to help them to know Jesus. James is saying, if you bring that sinner back, you save them from a multitude of sins and death. Brothers and sisters, don't give up. Don't give up on anyone. A prayer of faith brings healing, but also can bring the worst of sinners back to the fold. Well, let's pray now. Our Father God, we do thank you uh, for the gift of prayer. We thank you that you are in our lives and you give us every good gift. And we thank you that whether we're experiencing great times, okay times, boring times or tough or challenging times or even terrifying times, that you are with us. Father God, in each of our stages of life, on each of our situations, help us to talk to you, to pray to you. Help us to trust you more than anyone else. And Father God, help us to trust you as we pray. Father God, we do pray that you'd help us to pray for one another, for our spiritual health and also physical health. And Father God, also help us to be consistently loving for the lost sheep, for those that have wandered off. We pray for those of us who have parents that are unbelievers. We pray in your mercy that you'll bring them to faith. For those of us who have siblings that are wandered from the truth, we pray in your mercy that you bring them to faith. And for those of us who have children and grandchildren who have wandered from the faith, we ask in your mercy that you would bring those prodigal sons and daughters back into the fold. Father God, we thank you that your mercy is more that no matter how many sins we have or commit, your mercy is more. And Father God, also for those of us that are stuck with a particular sin or a particular situation where it just keeps reoccurring, help us to pray, but also help us to find someone we trust, a Christian brother or sister we trust that we can talk to and ask for help. Father God, we thank you that when we pray with faith, 
that you work and answer our prayers. Help us as your people to pray with faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.